You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. Acts chapter 2, and they continued steadfastly. This is out of the New King James Version. Uh, The New Living Translation says they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine or teaching and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul. That's not afraid of, but that's the awe-filled respect for Almighty God. The fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as everyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. We're going to key in on that uh, this morning. They ate their food in gladness with simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. The church there is the Greek word ecclesia. The, the, the church in, in the word of God is never an institution. It's never a program. The ecclesia are people, the called out, those who responded to the lordship of Jesus Christ, have bent their knee to his kingship and uh, who are committed to following him. Those are believers and all believers from all time is the church. There's only two expressions of church in the Bible. There's the church universal, which is all believers from all time, or local churches, gatherings of believers coming together in the name of Jesus, worshiping God together, using their gifts to serve one another so that they can impact their sphere of influence in this region and around the world. And so this is part of our foundation here at Westside. We, we really believe this. Now, I've said this many times regarding finances. I said, uh, I've said this, that this is descriptive, not prescriptive. A lot in the Word of God is describing what they did. It's not saying you have to do this. You have to sell your houses and give it to the poor. It's describing what they did. They responded to God speaking to them, and you should respond as God speaks to you regarding your finances. So I can't say, okay, now this is prescriptive. You have to do it this way. This is describing what they did. But we think it's a good, pretty good pattern here that the early disciples did in doing this thing. Jesus said, go tell the whole world about me. But he didn't tell them how to do it. So they, they were led by the promptings of the Holy Spirit, by their, their love for Jesus and his word. And so they went and started doing this. And what they did was they, they used synagogues at the beginning, but they gathered in local churches uh, to worship the Lord together. And I love how simple it was. Sometimes we disregard simple because it's not complicated. Jesus said you can't even come you can't even come to him unless you become as a child. Unless you lay down all your intelligence. You know, I'm not saying that we check our brains in at the door, but we sometimes want to figure it out ourselves when it's very easy to do. And so uh, what they did was they came together corporately. They listened to the apostles' teaching. And they worshipped God together. And they uh, prayed together. And they did all these things. But they did it in the temple, so to speak, together and from house to house. 
And that's what they did. They turned the world upside down in 100 years. The known world was evangelized by the end of the uh, first century. It was amazing how they went from 12 to millions and millions around the known world uh, at that time. So uh, Perry Noble, he's a pastor and a writer. He said, the church isn't as effective when the shepherd ministers to the body as when the body ministers to the body. Isn't that great? I love that. That takes a lot of pressure off me and the elders. It's like, like this. If you're depending on me and these guys, you're in big trouble. All right. But if we're depending upon that power and the presence of the Holy Spirit working in every believer's heart and we're loving and encouraging one another, uh, using the Word of God to uh, strengthen and build one another up, then, then we're in for a great ride. All right. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. So first of all, uh, this is for all saints. I'm going to talk for a minute about all saints. That's every believer. In Ephesians chapter 4, uh, Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus, but he's talking about some gifts that Jesus gives to the church. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. So the fivefold ministry, we call this the Ephesians ministry. Some theologians say it's a fourfold ministry, pastor, teacher, or one office. It doesn't matter. Uh, but what, what we have here is we have the apostolic, the prophetic. We have teaching. We have uh, pastoring. We have evangelizing, all working in all believers. We're all called to do that, but to equip us, people are specialty uh, uh, people in those areas. They're gifted, called by God to come in and uh, uh, build into the local church. So the, the, this uh, Ephesians 4 ministry, uh, a group of people, are gifts that Christ gives to the church to build us up. The saints are believers. The saints are believers. If you have committed your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you're a saint. You have it in you, the Holy Spirit in you, uh, such that you can open up the Word of God and teach somebody else. That's teaching. Uh, you can share your faith with others. That's evangelizing. You can uh, go to the hospital and pray for somebody. That's pastoring. Uh, you can, by the Spirit of God, speak uh, discerning things to your children and your friends. That's the prophetic. And you can have this going uh, mentality into your sphere of influence. That's the apostolic. It were, all these things work in us, but from time to time we use people to build up. More, most often in local churches, it's the pastor and teacher gift that's working all the time. And then from time to time, uh, it appears mostly that evangelism, prophetic, and apostolic uh, guys come in and build up or equip the church in those areas. So if a true evangelist comes into this church, he's not somebody that's going to hold a crusade and get a bunch of people saved. It's somebody who equips the saints to evangelize. And when he leaves, everybody goes, I've got to tell my friends about Jesus. That's the equipping, the deposit that they leave. That's the Ephesians 4 ministry and operation there. And so that's what Paul is talking about. And what he's saying here is that we cannot serve Jesus in our own strength. We really, really need the presence of God, the presence of of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. So for you to minister to one another, for you to care about each other, and this church is really a, a caring 
generous, mercy-hearted church toward one another. At the same time, we're not a circle in a huddle. We're all facing outwards into our spheres of influence. I love the healthiness of this church. But in order to represent Jesus well, to have God working through you, you need to spend time with God. And for something that takes time somewhere, that means you have to give up time elsewhere. Uh, for you to get closer to God, and if that requires time with God, uh, it's going to require a sacrifice on your part. I uh, wrote this down for this week. I was going to tweet it, but it was, it was more than 135 characters, so I didn't. Spending time with the Lord will help you become a more effective, that's growing, maturing, authentic, impacting, grace-extending, witnessing, loving other type of disciple of Jesus. So spending more time with the Lord will help you become a more effective disciple of Jesus. And we're called to, in the Great Commission, not to make converts, but to make disciples. Conversion is the first step in discipleship. But discipleship is a lifelong process till the day you take your last breath. So time with God will help you, eh? Uh, Time with God will help you become a more mature follower is this A? Is this a Canadian? This is our point for all our Canadians here. Uh, to become a more mature follower of Jesus Christ. So, you can't really lead your life under Christ uh, without spending time with God. You want to you grow in every area. There's, Paul, Paul has this thing to Timothy. Timothy was a young guy. He bypassed, there's no evidence that Timothy was ever a deacon. There's no ever evidence that he was an ever an elder. And there's no evidence that Timothy ever led a church. Timothy was called to come alongside Paul and immediately go into apostolic ministry. And so Paul is mentoring his, his young uh, disciple here, uh, uh, Timothy. And uh, he says this, Do not neglect your gift, which, which is given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders lay their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly or totally to them so that everyone may see your progress. Just a little side note, that see your progress, a lot of times people go, I don't want to do this just so people see me do this. Then I'm fake. I don't really want to do this. I'm fake. You know what? Sometimes it's just say this in a mirror. Say, it's not all about you. Yeah. Say this to yourself. It's not all about me. Uh, in my little, you know, pride here. Uh, sometimes you need to do stuff so that people can see your progress. Do you know why? Because they can't see your heart. The Bible says that God sees our heart, but man looks at the outward appearance. We can't see your heart. We can't see the change in your heart. All we can see is the evidence of the change in your heart. So sometimes you do stuff to be seen, not to be fake but so that you can demonstrate that Jesus is working in your heart and you'll lay down your little you know, self-interest here, self-centeredness, and do stuff so that people uh, uh, can see and be encouraged. Sometimes people who have a resting face like this need to do this. Right. It takes more muscles uh, to smile for some people when their average face is just like, like this. So... Get out of yourself and use your gift. Jesus loves you. He set you free. So communicate that. A smile can be detected over 90 feet away. That's an amazing sphere of influence. When you're happy. When you're not happy, ain't nobody happy, right? Moms? 
All right? So Paul uses these three words. He used gift, life, and doctrine. He said, watch them. Persevere in them so that you grow in them. If you do, you'll save both yourself and others. So he uses life, gifting, and doctrine. That's a three-legged stool. You know the great thing about a three-legged stool is it never wobbles. Some of you geometry people should have known that already. If you have four legs, then something wobbles. This podium has little adjusters on it. So right here, there's a certain adjustment. On Thursday night when I preach out here, Every week, the floor is uneven, so I have to readjust it, or otherwise it's going wobbly. Oh, that's four. But three, you, you don't have to adjust those. You have your life. That's your character. Your gifting. Uh, that's the, the things that you were born with, the talents, the abilities, your education, your parenting, your background. All these make up the gift, the gifts that God has given you. And your doctrine. Doctrine is simply teaching. Like... The doctrine of angels. What do we teach about angels? The doctrine of sin. What do we teach about sin? There's nothing mysterious about the word uh, doctrine. So we want to grow in all three of these areas. Some, sometimes you might see somebody with great gifting. They're very uh, uh, big capacity. They're, they're charismatic. They, they draw people to them. And in their, in their theology, their doctrine is really good. Those two are really good, but their life is out of order. They might be living immorally or something behind the scenes. That's an uneven stool. And there's too, sadly, there's too many people out there living that way. You want to grow and mature in all areas. Sometimes people have great doctrine and their character is wonderful. Their life is great, but they're gifting. They need to work on that. They have trouble speaking. They might need to practice speaking. The first time I ever spoke in front of a group, it was a group about five or six times larger than this. That was my first big public speaking experience. And I'll tell you what, my knees were shaking, and my voice was shaking. And uh, it was a big deal. I could hardly get, but the world started spinning around me. And so it's a big deal. The fear of public speaking is the number one fear in this country. Did you know that? It's a larger, it's a bigger fear than, than dying, is fear of public speaking. And so as a believer, you need to get used to speaking. And so you practice those kind of things. So, which goes to show you at the funeral, who's worse off, the one in the casket or the one speaking, <laughs> giving the eulogy. So, <clears throat> God always expects you to increase. Philippians 1.6. I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you We'll perfect it, we'll complete it, we'll mature it in you. So it also, time with God also relies us, uh, causes us to rely on the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We, we really, really, really get in trouble when we only listen to ourselves, or to Oprah, or to our friends, or to any magazines, or the internet. Oh, I heard it on the internet, like this. How about listening to it on the heaven net? You know, listening to the Holy Spirit's promptings. And some of you go, I, you know, I don't really hear his voice. Uh, let me tell you, if somebody's saying something, say a friend of yours says, you know what, uh, the other day, I just really didn't know what to do, so I went to one of these uh, fortune tellers, and I just wanted, and something rises up in you, like this. Maybe you don't even know that the Bible says you stay away from those people. Maybe you don't know that, but something begins to rise up. You know what that is? That's the Holy Spirit. That's right. 
speaking to you. Learn how to recognize that voice. Maybe it's not so uh, overt as that. It's something a little more subtle. And somebody's sharing how their, you know, their marriage isn't doing so well, so they're just kind of like thinking about you know, just not, not giving, it in, you know, giving up and not even trying uh, to, to work toward reconciliation or, or a, a relationship at work or something. And something rises up in you to say, actually, no, let's pray about this. You can do this. God wants to get victory in this yeah. area. That, that like feeling that's rising up in you, you, you're going like this. That's like really mature. I would never think of anything like that. Trust that it's the Holy Spirit. You know it's not the devil trying to tell you to uh, get them to reconcile. So it must be the Holy Spirit. So these voices whispering in here are usually you or God or the devil. So learn to recognize what those are and learn how to hear the voice of God. We do believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We do believe that that we absolutely, desperately need him. And so, as believers, you know what? That's kind of like an honor system. Nobody knows what the Lord is speaking to you. Nobody, nobody knows if, if you wake up at night and that person's face keeps appearing and you just feel that you need to tell them or, uh, something encouraging or call them up, see how they're doing. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. But none of us know that. It's between you and the Lord. Honor those things. Follow up on those things. Trust that God is, is leading you. You see, the, the primary focus of a pastor in the local church is vision casting and leadership training and equipping. That's actually my main job, is to share the vision, to teach the Word of God, and to raise up and train and release leaders so that what we said at the beginning, all this can be taking place and it's not just in the hands of one or two. So I want to talk about small groups today uh, to follow up on this. Uh, it's a big deal. We see it in Scripture where they met from house to house. It's, it, there's evidence. It's not only house to house. It's in the temple and house to house. We meet together corporately to celebrate the Word of God, to celebrate Jesus. But we also meet in smaller groups so that we can grow closer to each other and we can be accountable. And A, a small group uh, is a wonderful tool that can be used to advance uh, primarily... Uh, Small groups are the primary drivers in this church of evangelism and discipleship and care. If we expect only one, one or two people in this church to do evangelism, discipleship, and, and pastoral ministry or care, then we're sunk. You can have a church of about 30 people. But if everybody is doing that, then we are a healing community. We are a discipling community. We're, we're an evangelistic community of people to make impacts in this sphere of influence. So um, a healthy church will, will take the, the most plentiful leadership resource that they have, which is captains of tens, leaders of ten. And you know where we get that? We get that from uh, Exodus 18, where Jethro is, is advising Moses. Here, the children of Israel are out in the desert, and Moses is settling everybody's issues. So there's a long old line there. And there was about 3 million people in Israel at that time. 
So that line was long. He stole my dog. You know? She, t- she borrowed three, three uh, measures of barley and didn't return them. You know, whatever the dispute was. Um, so Moses sat there and listened to all these things. And his father-in-law, Jethro, comes up and said, uh, Moses, listen, you're wearing yourself out. And you're wearing the people out because they're fed up with you trying to do it all by yourself. They know very well that they can handle most of these things. So why don't you select leaders of 10, leaders of 50, leaders of 100, and leaders of 1,000 and put them in charge and let them handle those disputes. By the way, that's where we get our judicial system. You have local courts and you have state courts and district courts and state courts and federal courts. It's the same kind of principle. Uh, Distribute that. And so what's the most plentiful one is leaders of 10. And then you listen to only the things, you know, the that get up to you. So, we asked this leadership group, the most plentiful leadership resource we have in the church. I'm talking to small group leaders right now, but we can all hear it, and maybe God's calling you to be a small group leader. You can do it. Um, we're asking them to, by the aid of the Holy Spirit, provide a safe place for people to get to know one another, to pray for one another, to, to be known, to be accountable to each other in a safe place. We're asking them to help people to grow in God and get closer to Jesus and confess their sins and get healed up and fixed up and get restored. And you know what? This is discipleship. Discipleship is not a book or a program or a class. It's a lifelong commitment to know others and to be known by them. Now, in a, a group of 150 or 80 people, whatever's in here today, we probably won't get up and share our most intimate details, but you better have one or two people in this world that you can go to and ask for prayer and, and expose yourself. Just be vulnerable down to the depths of your heart. And then you, you should be able to love on other people that way. And then you have a larger circle. Like Jesus had, had the three. He had the three guys that he called away. Peter, James, John, you come over here. What do you think the rest of the guys thought when he did that? What about us? But this, it's a natural progression. You've got some close friends. For many of us, it's our spouse and maybe one other person. For others, it might be a group of three guys or something like that. There's no hard, fast rule. But then you have another larger group. Jesus had 12, which he was very close with. That's where we get our ideal number for a small group is about 12 people. Anything more than that, and you can hide. And you don't get this accountability. You don't get this love. And I remember when Terry and I went to our old church, we came from a church that didn't do this. We came from a church that didn't hug, and we didn't do anything except this like four-foot handshake. And we didn't understand what true Christian fellowship was. And this church had a bunch of koinonia groups. That's what they called their small groups. Koinonia is the Greek word for fellowship. And uh, they would get up all the time and just share what, what their small group meant to them. And how, you know, at first they didn't like it, but then they got to know each other. And, and they could pray for each other. And often guys would get up and say, in our, in our, in our small group, 
we're really intimate with each other. And Terry and I would look at each other. We were in our early 20s, and we'd look at each other, and we'd go... <laughs> like this. We had never been exposed to that, never known that. We went to that church. We sat in the second to the last row next to the wall for a year and a half while we were getting healed up, just corporately, the ministry taking place. And finally, we said, okay, let's check it out. Let's go to a small group. Find out what it's like. I'm telling you, instantly we felt connected in a greater degree to the church, yeah. to the vision of the church. We all of a sudden knew, you know, 12, 14 people's names. We didn't know anybody before that, really. And we got connected in a way that we never had before, and we started to grow exponentially more quickly uh, because we were connected. Some people think they can walk through this life and do it on their own. That's sort of an American... Good quality that becomes a bad quality. You know how your good, best qualities can sometimes be your biggest weakness? Like say somebody's really generous, but they're generous to fault. They give away all their family's food. Like, uh, no, don't be that generous. Like that, that's a good thing to be generous, but don't, you know. Sometimes our strength can be our weakness. As a, as a culture, American individualism and all that kind of stuff is great. But God never created a finger to be apart from the body. He never created a liver to be separate from the body. He never created a big toe to be separate from the body. He created you. Each of you is a part of the body of Christ. He created you to be connected. Whether you like it or not, you're part of it. If you're part of the body of Christ, there is no indication ever in the Word of God, there's never a picture of a, of a spleen and the head, which is Jesus, walking down the street together. That's not a body. The body of Christ. Christ has a body. And all of us are his body. I want to get passionate about this. We need to understand. We need to have a revelation that each of us needs to be connected in a healthy and wholesome way so that we can grow and fulfill what God has called us to do. So that's discipleship. So this is a critical thing in the life of the church. So small group leaders, you're not doing it for us. Please don't do it for, for me or for Westside. Do it for Jesus. If you, if you open up your home and host a home and let somebody else come in and lead it uh, and, and all that kind of stuff, don't do it for me. Don't do it for the elders. Don't do it for Westside. Do it for Jesus because times are going to get tough. When somebody comes and rips your sofa uh, or spills a latte on your new white carpet or scrapes a chair across your newly refinished floors, don't get mad at me. Get mad at Jesus. He's the one that called you to do that. When people, it all belongs to him anyway. When people call in the middle of the night because they're struggling in their marriage and you lose some sleep and you have that big meeting tomorrow that you need to be at and stuff, know that it's Jesus who trusted you with those people. And if you work with young people or you work in a, a ladies' Bible study or, or whatever else, you're going to have to adjust it to your group. But God trusted you with those people to love and to care for. So the church won't survive. This church won't survive without people, captains of tens, doing their job. I'm telling you, it's a God-ordained, it's a vital ministry in the life of this church. And when you see a group of people that grow in healthy relationships that will propel this church into reaching our sphere of influence that God has called us to. So I actually want to publicly thank 
all of our small group leaders and all of our small group hosts, if that's you, would you just please stand up where you are? Okay, remain standing up. Remain standing. Honestly, honestly, it is a big deal. It's not a small deal. It is a big deal what you do. And if you have any questions about small group leadership, and maybe you want to open up your home and have somebody come in and lead a group in your home, then then put your name at the Welcome Center. Right now, I kind of uh, head up the small group ministry, so so we'll contact you and, and tell you what the process. There is a process. Uh, it's not a difficult process, but if you're if you're in lock, stock, and barrel here, God's called you here, then it's not a difficult process. So Lord bless you guys. Thank you so much. We love you and appreciate you. Thanks. This is absolutely critical in the life of the church. So just briefly, what is a small group? A small group is a group of, uh, of no more than 12 people. If it still says 15, we're still trying to uh, change that. It's a, it's a group of no more than 12 people, not counting children, who gather together regularly for the purpose of fellowship, prayer, and authentic community centered around the application of God's word in our daily lives. Here's a few truth statements about Uh, what small groups are. Uh, The Bible says that we're instructed to meet uh, together and fellowship together. And true fellowship cannot take place in a group this large. True fellowship in a group this large will take place in a corner over here and a corner back there and out on the patio and out in the parking lot and all over. Uh, But it's true fellowship is a smaller uh, group. Um, People in authentic community start to feel uh, that they belong to a group of people that they can count on and who can count on them uh, no matter what. And let me say this, that small group ministry changes lives more than any other ministry in the church as a whole. Small group ministry changes people's lives more than any other ministry. So if you've been part of Westside for a while and you feel your life is being changed for the better and you're growing closer to Jesus and you're not in a small group, I encourage you to take the next step and even allow Jesus to impact you and to grow you even more. A small group is not just for fun. It's not a therapy group. It's not just a Bible study. It's not just a religious uh, exercise for hanging out uh, with your friends. Uh, But the purpose of a small group is to produce changed lives. The purpose of a small group is to produce changed lives, and that is discipleship uh, by providing a network of pastoral care, uh, connecting relationally, releasing the priesthood of all believers. It's a place where you can learn how to pray in a group. It's a, per, uh, a place where you can share a Bible verse that has meant something to you. It's, a, it's just a safe place to begin to grow in your relationship with the Lord. A small group is a training ground for future pastors and leaders and teachers and Sunday school leaders and all those kind of things. This is really discipleship. So a healthy small group looks like uh, something like this, a place where people can... Uh, come as they are and know they're accepted. I love this church. We accept each other. There, Terry, stand up just for a second. Uh, the, she didn't know I was going to do this. She is She's like one of the most classiest people in the world. And I'm like this. So we cannot be as opposite uh, in our personal styles as this. But you guys love us. And you, t- and you accept us, hopefully, uh, right, where we, right where we are. They go, well, Terry, we do. But... Uh, <laughs> Um, a small group is always welcoming new people. We've had quite a shift in our small groups this year, and there's a reason for it. It's because there's, every group has a, um, 
uh, what do you call it? Uh, uh, no, a timeline. There's a season where it's effective. We were uh, life life cycle. Yeah, we we're using that word this week. So after three or four years of mostly the same people, you know what happens? Instead of holding your hands and everybody's facing out to the world like this, uh, we begin to look in and hold hands inward. And that's the start of, of a decline as far as the kingdom goes. So there's, there's actually a, a healthy mix of, of small groups going on this year. I encourage you to take a look at the brochure. By the way, the brochure uh, still has three or four more groups that are going to go in it. We're going to launch in just a couple weeks, small groups. Uh, a healthy small group uh, always welcomes new people. It's a safe place where there's confidentiality. A small group is fun. It's dynamic. It's always changing. Uh, it's the fruitful place where leaders and servants are born into an atmosphere of a healthy balance of pastoring and discipleship and fellowship. Because if we have too much fun in our small groups, then we never get around to anything meaningful or life-changing. And if our group is only just for pastoring, then it becomes a therapy uh, session. And it's usually just for one or two people. And everybody else just sits and watches. And if there's too much um, teaching, then we... Um, uh, never, uh, then we allow knowledge, the growth of knowledge, uh, to replace love in our groups. So it's a healthy mixture of these things, not just one thing like this. Uh, people really are looking for a place to fit in and to belong. And I'll tell you what, we have like 26, 28 small groups in this church, and you're going to find one that will fit, fit you and that you'll absolutely love. What does a typical meeting look like? Uh, usually it's a couple hours long. Uh, they can vary a bit because some of our groups uh, have a potluck or, or dinner. Sometimes in the, on, people who meet on Sundays meet in the earlier in the afternoon. A uh, small group always starts with uh, prayer and ends with prayer. And a small group is not a miniature church service. It's, I have a friend who calls small group, good small groups, uh, Dining room Christianity. I love that. Sitting around a table, discussing the Word of God together, uh, laughing together, eating together, all these things. So we, we aim to, and this spells out the word friends, uh, to keep our groups a blend of food, uh, breaking bread together, relationships uh, to each other, relational to each other, to intercede and pray for one another, to encourage all the new gifts, all the gifts, to uh, have new stuff, dynamic all the time, uh, to demonstrate Jesus to the world, that's sharing the gospel. It's a place where, uh, you know, evangelism can take place in our groups. And uh, let me tell you, if, you're, if you haven't given your heart to Jesus, you can today. Right where you're seated right now, you can say yes to Jesus. And if you don't know what that fully means, as soon as we're done in just a couple minutes, uh, there'll be people up in the front. If you want to come up and just ask for prayer, say, just tell me what this means to have a relationship with Jesus. I don't understand that. They would be glad to sit down and talk with you and walk you through that. So all of these things, um, oh, and study the Word of God, all these things will take place in a small group, but not necessarily in one week. Can't do all these things every week. Uh, but over a period of a couple months, all these things will be massaged in through that time. And so uh, what are the expectations of small group leaders and small group hosts? Come to first Wednesday, first Wednesday of every month. In this room, I have a leadership meeting. Uh, we'll be talking about small group leader expectations this next meeting. That's a great place to come. So, uh, 
That's on our. That's on my heart. It's on the elders' hearts. Uh, we're launching new small groups this year. It's not a program. It's not a program. This is part of our foundation here at Westside, and we've taken it from a pattern in the Word of God, what the early church did, and we haven't deviated since Terry and I came here sixteen and a half years ago, and that was part of the heartbeat of the church before we came as well. But we haven't deviated from that. We want to keep this thing called church simple. We don't want to overburden people with excessive meetings. We want to give you enough time to minister in your sphere of influence and love on people in your workplace, in your schools, in your families. All these, all these things. But it's, it's a healthy pattern. We see it in God's Word. And the reason is, is because we want to make much of Jesus. We want to make Him known. Amen. Father, thanks for this Word today. Thank you for challenging us. I, I would encourage each of you, just before God right now, just ask Him this question. God, have I been a participant or a spectator? God, help me to become a participant in what you're doing, not just watching. And God, I really do want to grow in you. I want to mature in you. God, how will I obey you this week? How will I obey you this week? I pray that you would hear his voice and respond accordingly. In Jesus' name, amen.